Hallelujah. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. It's wonderful to be able to worship the Lord in Jesus' name. I thank every musician and singer for coming and giving their all and worshiping the Lord. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be turning open to the book of Matthew chapter 27 and verse 62. And then we're going to be uh, turning to 1 Peter 3 and 18. Amen. We want to tell all of our church folk, we, we love you, we're praying for you, and uh, we believe that God's got his hand on you, and uh, we want you to be encouraged in Jesus' name. Matthew chapter 27 and verse 62. Now, as an evangelist, I got to preach Easter all the time, uh, but as a pastor, you almost have to bring in a guest, and uh, that was our intent this year, And uh, but but this year, Easter 1.0, you, you get the... You get the side prize, you know, that little thing in the Cracker, cracker Jack box, you know, that little toy inside of the, uh, the, the cereal. That's what you're getting today. But uh, when Easter 2.0 hits, when this is all said and done, we can gather together. We'll have a great guest speaker, and uh, we'll just do it up big and have stuff for the kids, and we'll just make a big deal out of it. Maybe we'll make it a yearly thing. We'll just have two Easters every year. I don't know. We'll just figure something out. Uh, but it'll be great in Jesus' name. Lots of great reports uh, this, this, uh, this Sunday. I know that several churches have been able to do drive-in service. Uh, unfortunately, our state governor has banned churches from doing that, so we aren't able to do that. But uh, we are praying for our governor and for our officials. But I've heard lots of great reports of those that have been having online church. Some people have gotten the Holy Ghost through uh, just listening online. And so we believe that before this is all said and done, you can get the Holy Ghost. If you've never got the Holy Ghost, you can have it. Amen. It's when God's Spirit fills you, quickens your mortal body. And how do you know whether you got the Holy Ghost? The Bible says that you will speak in other tongues a language you did not know. It might be a heavenly language. It might be a known language, just not known to you. And so uh, we want you at the end of this service to just turn your home into an altar and to pray. And if anyone in your house does not have the Holy Ghost, we want to encourage you to pray and to pray with them and ask God to give it to you. Amen. The Bible says, if we being evil know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more our Heavenly Father will give the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, to them that ask. Amen. God is willing if we are willing to receive it in Jesus' name. Matthew 27 and verse 62. The Bible says, now the next day that followed the day of the preparation. What is the day of the preparation? That is Friday where they prepare for the Sabbath. What we call Good Friday. We're talking about the next day. The next day that followed the day of the preparation, the chief priests and Pharisees came together unto Pilate, saying, Sir, we remember that this deceiver, that's what they're calling Jesus, the one who was truth manifested in the flesh, they called him a deceiver, that this deceiver said while he was yet alive, after three days, I will rise again. Command, therefore, that the sepulcher be made sure until the third day, lest his disciples come by night and steal him away and say unto the people, He is risen from the dead, so the last error shall be worse than the first. Pilate said unto them, You have a watch. Go your way and make it as sure as you can. I love that. Pilate said, Try your best. You've got a guard. You go ahead and you do the work. You try your best. Make it as sure as you can. Seal it up as tight as you can. So they went and made the sepulcher sure. 
sealing the stone and setting a watch. Let's skip in our Bibles over to 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 18. The Bible says, For Christ also hath suffered once, once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God and being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit, by which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison, which sometimes were disobedient, when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was a preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls, were saved by water. I want you to catch this because many would say you don't need to be baptized. We'll be talking about that in live stream on Wednesday. You've got to be baptized in Jesus' name. The like figure whereunto even baptism doth also now save us. I had one guy read that verse to say, see, we're not saved by baptism. And uh, I thought he might have had a different version than me. But uh, no, he read it and he just didn't see it. Baptism doth also now save us. But what is baptism? It's not taking a bath. It's not putting away the filth of the flesh. But it is the answer of a good conscience towards God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ who has gone to heaven and is on the right hand of God. Angels and authorities and powers being made subject unto him being made subject unto him. Our first text, Matthew, says now the next day. And then in 1 Peter, it says that he went and preached to the spirits in prison. And I want to preach to us for a few moments on this subject. What about Saturday? What about Saturday? Would you set down your Bibles right where you are and in your home, in your living room, wherever you are, in your car, lift up your hands and begin to pray. Hallelujah. Come on. If you're just sitting there listening in your car and you're parked, why don't you raise up your voice and magnify Jesus? If you're in your house, why don't you turn your house into the church of the living God and invite the presence of the Lord into your home? Amen. If you've never been to church, you've never encountered God, I want to encourage you to invite Jesus into your home. Invite Jesus into your life. Something great's going to happen. I promise you, you're going to feel something. In the wonderful name of Jesus, we give you glory and honor and praise, God. In Jesus' name, hallelujah. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Or if you're home, you can stand. Whatever you want to do. Amen. What about Saturday? What about Saturday? I've heard a lot of preaching in my 18 years of living for God. I've heard a lot of preaching about something known as Good Friday. And uh, I've heard a lot of preaching about what we call and what we're celebrating today Easter Sunday. But before we can ever get to Easter Sunday, I think it's important to tell not just part of the story, but to tell the whole story. There's some that maybe don't understand what was happening. What happened on something we call Good Friday. And, and I, I, I taught, and I, I think it's important if you can to go back onto our, our other live streams and you can see uh, the teaching on Wednesday. I taught uh, 10 things that Jesus accomplished through his death, burial, and resurrection. And uh, there's a lot of things that we can see the good that came of it. And that helps us understand why people would call it Good Friday. But for just a moment, I want to talk about what happened on Friday? 
And many as I begin to talk about this will think to themselves, how on earth is that good? Man, it was on that Friday that Jesus was praying. Amen. It was late. He was praying and he prayed early into the morning. And there came a group of soldiers and they had with them one Judas Iscariot. And the Bible says that they asked of Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus came forth. Judas kissed him on the cheek to betray the Savior of the world with a kiss and to let every one of the soldiers know this is indeed the man that you are looking for. And Jesus asked the question, Whom do you seek? And they said, We are looking for Jesus of Nazareth. And when Jesus told them, I am, the Bible says they stumbled backwards. Amen. Because there was more that was happening right there in that moment than just declaring that he was the, the fugitive that they were looking for. But when he said, I am, he was pulling back all the way to the Old Testament. When God told Moses, I am that I am, there was something in that moment when Jesus declared that he was God manifested in the flesh, that something in the humanity of those soldiers could not stand to hear it, and they fell backwards. But they came and still arrested Jesus. He was betrayed by Judas. He was arrested by soldiers. And in that moment, when he was betrayed and arrested, all of the other disciples that were with Jesus began to run left and right, thinking that they too would be with Jesus and be captured with him. At one point, they were excited to be with Jesus when he was performing miracles, signs, and wonders. But now that there was danger and there was trouble and there might be persecution, they all fled and went their separate ways. Even a man by the name of Peter who said, No, Lord, I'll never leave you. I'll never deny you. Amen. It was that Peter that ran as, as well as the rest of the disciples. And as they led Jesus away, the Bible says that Peter followed from afar off. He followed from a distance. And Peter, sitting and warming himself by a fire, amen, as they asked him, are you one of the disciples? Have you been with Jesus? Amen. And they were trying to figure out if Peter was one of the disciples. The Bible says that Peter denied Jesus three times. This is Good Friday. He's been betrayed. He's been abandoned. He's been arrested. And now he's been denied by somebody who said, I will never leave you. I will never deny you. They are talking with Jesus there. And, and the chief priests and the scribes and the rulers and the elders, they begin to bring forth false witnesses. And on this Good Friday, Jesus is falsely accused. And in this moment, Amen. Jesus is asked if he really is who he says he was. Jesus confirms that he is indeed the Christ. And the Bible says that, that the high priests and the other priests, they spit on him and they begin to buffet him with their hands and they slapped the Savior of the world on Good Friday. Jesus is then tied up by the elders, the council, and the scribes. They take him and they lead him away. And they bring him before Pilate. And they bring him before Herod. And there Jesus is. They, he is interrogated 
by Herod. And the Bible would say that Jesus opened not his mouth, for it was this Herod that had cut off the head of John the Baptist. And as soon as he cut off the head of John the Baptist, cut off the head of the preacher, Jesus had nothing left to say to him. I don't know who that's for, but I want to tell you, you don't want to cut out conviction in your life. You don't want to shut down the Word of God in your life. Amen. But it was there that Herod and Pilate, who were enemies at one point, now, as they are interrogating Jesus, they have become friends and they have gained, uh, amen, some sort of weird friendship through this. And they bring him before Pilate and he is interrogated all on Good Friday. This, this now, Pilate is in a tough position. He brings before them two options, one by the name of Barabbas and one by the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And he puts these options before the crowd. Amen. And as was his custom on that, that Friday, on that Passover, amen, that there was an option that he was going to release one of the prisoners. Barabbas being one who has, amen, caused much, much insurrection, who had murdered somebody. The Bible says of him he was a notable prisoner, that he had, he had caused insurrection. He had murdered somebody. And the Bible even says that he was a robber. And then there was Jesus who healed the sick, raised the dead, opened the blinded eyes, unlocked the deaf ears, made the mute to speak, the lame to walk. This Jesus who had taught and never done anything wrong and put before the crowd, the Bible says they cried out and said, give us Barabbas. They would rather have a murder released, a murderer, amen, released than this Jesus who had healed their cities and their nation and their families. Oh, on Good Friday. And Pilate asked the crowd, what would you have me do to this Jesus of Nazareth? And all at once the crowd began to cry out, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. He was sentenced to crucifixion by the crowd. He was then led away. He was led away by the soldiers. And these soldiers began to carry out his sentence crucifixion amen we get the word excruciating from crucifixion amen it created its own word it was so so horrible the best way to describe it is it was excruciating it was humiliating and they started on this humiliation process the bible says that jesus was mocked by the soldiers they stripped him down naked and they put a a purple robe on him to act as if he was as royal as he said he was and to make even more fun the Bible says that they made a crown of thorns and they pushed it down on his head and those thorns begin to dug, dig into his brow and blood begin to run down his face. That robe, amen, that they had put on him, amen, it was to mock him. And they all bowed the knee in protest and in, in mockery to this Jesus of Nazareth. And all at once they took, amen, this staff that they had given him. They took it out of his hands and they begin to beat him with this rod. Amen. And as they beat this Jesus, he began to swell up. As they beat this Jesus, amen, he began to get black and blue. Amen. They began to strip him of that robe. They tied him to a wooden post. And there they began to whip him with something known as a cat of nine tails. 
this cat of nine tails, amen, was a whip that had nine different, amen, wires. And attached to it was shards of pottery. There was pieces of metal. There were other different sharp and blunt objects, some to beat and some to tear away at his flesh. Amen. And they began to whip him. And I want to just say before somebody gets too depressed as I preach this, uh, amen, that the Bible says it was with his stripes we are healed. Every whip on his back as it tore away his flesh, those ribbons that hang, amen, on his sides and on his back, amen, it was with those stripes that you can be healed. It doesn't matter what disease it is. Jesus already paid for it. It doesn't matter if it's coronavirus, if it's cancer, I want you you to know it God has already paid for it right there with this why don't you lift up your hands right where you are and let's pray come on thank him for those stripes and with those stripes we are healed some people wonder why the church believes in healing it's right there uh, with his stripes we are healed they took him they whipped him amen and he began to bleed the Bible would say that they begin to rip out his beard, pluck the hairs from his face. It was an excruciating situation. They then take his garments from him. They rip them into pieces and they cast lots to see whose they would be so they could make profit off of Jesus. They robbed him. They stole from him. And now they're going to make profit off of him. They then take him and lead him up an old rugged hill to a place called Calvary, a place called Golgotha. And Jesus is caused to carry his own cross. And there on his way, he stumbles and they grab a man by the name of Simon the Cyrenian and they compel him to carry the cross of Jesus. And they get Jesus all the way up that hill outside of the city. And the Bible says there they nailed him to that cross. And they hang him up and as they hang him, Amen. His flesh begins to tear. And, 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 and Jesus is hanging there in agony. And if he does not hold himself up on those nails, then he will surely suffocate. But Jesus knows it's not time yet. And when Jesus cries out and says, I thirst, it was on that good Friday that they gave him some vinegar. Instead of water and refreshing, they gave him something bitter. They gave him something that would sting his open sores. And the Bible says he spit that bitterness out. Even on the cross, in spite of everything they were doing to him, he refused to get bitter. He refused to allow bitterness to get on the inside of him. And as he hung there, amen, in agony, the Bible says that he was stabbed in the side. All of this on Good Friday by the soldiers. And the Bible says that while he's hanging there on the cross, there are two thieves, and one yells at Jesus and begins to mock Jesus. If you are who you say you are, save yourself and us also. But there's another thief that realizes he deserves to be on that cross. And he says, Jesus, if you could forgive me, if you could take me with you, 
It was all on that cross that the crowd began to yell at him and the priests began to tempt him to come down from that cross and they began to call at him, if you really are who you say you are, come down from that cross. But it was there on that cross Jesus understood, because I am who I am, I cannot come down from this cross. Because I am who I am and you are who you are and you've done what you've done. I must stay on this cross. And it was there that Jesus... Jesus gave up the ghost and he yelled one final cry, it is finished, and he died. It was there on that good Friday that Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, both who were secret disciples, both who had come to know Jesus when no one else knew that they were knowing Jesus, they carried him and they buried him in a borrowed tomb, one that was owned by Joseph of Arimathea. And all of that is how Friday ended. And yet we call it Good Friday. But if you listen to last Wednesday's teaching, you will see that Jesus, amen, in that moment, he was our substitution. That the one that should have been on that cross was you and I. The one that deserved every bit of punishment and pain was you and I. That Jesus on that cross, the Bible says that Jesus gave his life a ransom for many. He was redeeming us in that moment. There was a lot of good that was happening on that Friday. More than the wrath of God being poured out on Jesus' mortal body. The goodness of the Lord was opening up an avenue where we could be reconciled to God. And we could be led back into relationship with him. That's why Good Friday is. Good Friday. And then we could talk about Easter. We could talk about Sunday. And there is a moment and a reason for everybody to get excited. Amen. About Easter Sunday. Matthew 28. The Bible says there was a great earthquake. Angels appeared. And as the angels appeared, the Bible says the keepers and the guards that they had placed began to shake and quake. And the Bible says they fell over as dead men. They passed out. Amen. And it was there that that old stone they'd used to seal up the door of this grave. Amen. The grave that had tried to contain Jesus. Amen. It could not contain Jesus. Not one more moment. And the Bible says that the stone was rolled away from the door. Mark 16 declares uh, that both of the Marys uh, were on their way to this tomb to anoint Jesus' body. Uh, Luke 24 declares uh, that when they arrived, they were perplexed, they were confused uh, because instead of seeing a stone uh, rolled over the grave, instead of seeing uh, a man what, what they expected to see, uh, there were just two men uh, in shining white apparel. Uh, amen. There were two angels uh, that were standing in shining garments uh, that began to look back at Mary's, uh, at both of the Marys and they begin to talk with them and they ask the question why do you seek the living among the dead he is not here he is risen like he said these angels that are there 
at the tomb. All the Marys wanted to do was go and anoint the body of Jesus. But when they showed up, there was nothing in the tomb. When they showed up, somebody had stolen away in their minds the body of Jesus. But it was there on Easter Sunday that they received a word from an angelic host that Jesus was alive and well. That Jesus had risen again just like he said. I think it's interesting that there were two angels. Two angels standing on either side of this open tomb. Reminds me of the Old Testament that there were two angels that faced one another on a mercy seat. And it was God that sat upon the mercy seat. And no longer was this mercy seat, amen, going to be upon a box of wood that was overlaid with gold. But now the door of the tomb was open. There was no more stone covering it. And the angels are looking at one another as they begin to look at Mary's, both of them, and begin to tell them, he's not here, he is risen. And they begin to tell Mary, there's a new mercy seat. There's a new place of hope. There's a new place of mercy. You don't got to go through religiosity anymore. You don't got to go through that old way. The old covenant's passed away. The new covenant has come. That in his blood, there's a new testament. And those angels are guarding that open tomb. And they're telling everybody the message. He's risen. He's risen. He's risen. You want to know why we shout? Because we've got access to a mercy seat we did not have access to before. We got an opportunity at an open grave, at an open tomb. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, somebody clap your hands and magnify him. Hallelujah. You want to know why we shout about Easter Sunday? Because the tomb is empty and the mercy seat is available. The tomb is empty, but the mercy seat is now available. My Bible says come boldly to the throne of grace. Somebody lift up your hands and magnify him. God, we give you praise. We thank you, Jesus. Not only was that tomb empty, not only was that stone rolled away, but we've now got access. Those of us that were not a people are now the people of God. Those of us that could not go in the temple, those of us that could not approach the mercy seat, now have the opportunity to approach an empty tomb. John chapter 20. The Bible says Peter and John are told by Mary that the tomb is empty. And the Bible says they did run. And John outrun Peter. And he got to the tomb first. And the Bible says he just stared in disbelief. Somebody has taken our Savior. But the Bible says that Peter, when he got there, he may not have got, he may not have got there as fast as everybody else. Don't be afraid if you didn't get saved when everybody else in your family got saved. Maybe you're just listening to this and you haven't got saved yet. You don't have to get there as soon as everybody else, as long as you get there. Peter got to that empty tomb, uh, that new mercy seat, uh, and that one that had denied Jesus. Uh, the Bible says he didn't just stay at the door. The Bible says he walked inside uh, of that empty tomb. Uh, he had to see it for himself. Uh, he had to get a revelation, uh, and there he saw a, a, a empty, amen, garment 
garments. And the Bible says the napkin that did cover his face was folded. This is a sign, amen, that Jesus was coming back. This was a symbol. It wasn't just thrown to the side. It was folded neatly to let him know, don't worry, it's not over, Peter. There is mercy. There is still grace. The Bible says that Jesus then appeared again. To, she appeared to Mary and began to talk with Mary. And she, and she was told by Jesus to go and tell all of the disciples. And when Mary told all the disciples, they could not believe her. And the Bible says that Jesus, who is resurrected, walked right through the walls that they were staying in. The Bible says they had shut the door and they had locked it. But Jesus, now resurrected, resurrection power, doesn't need to use the door. Resurrection power doesn't need to go in the same way that everybody else goes in. Amen. I want to tell you that Jesus walked right through those walls. And the Bible says they all saw the risen Savior. Can I help somebody? You might have locked every door. You might have shut Jesus out. You might have said it's hopeless and you're living in depression. But Jesus can break through every wall. Jesus can walk through every locked door. You just got, oh, come on. The resurrection power can reach you at your lowest, darkest, most locked up point. Oh, somebody lift up your hands right where you are in your living room. Lift up your hands and magnify Jesus. Come on, it doesn't matter how many times you try to keep him out. The resurrected Savior, amen, he can make it any place. He can make it into any place. But the Bible says there was one disciple that was not there on Easter Sunday. Thomas, one called Didymus. The Bible says that they had told Thomas, Thomas, you've got to believe us. We saw him. And Thomas said, I will not believe until I can put my hands into the prince and until I can put my fingers into the scars and into the holes that the nails and that piercing went through. And my Bible says that this resurrected Savior was not offended by this, this action. He was not offended by this asking. Amen. But my Bible says that Jesus appeared to Thomas and said, Son, Put your hands in the prince. Put your, thrust your hand into my side. All Thomas wanted was a personal encounter on Easter Sunday. But can I preach to somebody? It's 2,020 years later, and you can still have a personal encounter with this risen Jesus. It's not relegated to those that were there, but where you are. You can say, Jesus, I've got to see it for myself. I've got to encounter resurrection power. I've got to experience what you have for me. Let's love him all across this house and right where you are. Come on, I'm almost done preaching, but I want us to pray in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Come on, if you're listening for the first time, this is your first time in church, I want to tell you the resurrection power is an experience you can have. Amen. It's called the Holy Ghost. My Bible says that same spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead will quicken your mortal bodies. You can begin to pray right now. And while I'm preaching, while I yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost can come on you. All of that happened on Easter Sunday. But what about Saturday? Not much is written about Saturday. 
I've never heard a message about Saturday. Our text here today seems to be the only gospel that records information about the tomb on Saturday. We can use the other writings to piece together what Saturday looked like and felt like. In between the death of Jesus and the resurrection power of Jesus, what did Saturday look like? How did it feel to everybody that lived through Saturday? We can look and find that it was there on Friday that Judas hung himself. But now it's Saturday and Judas's dead body is swinging in the potter's field because he did not believe that there was chance of forgiveness for him. Peter, who ran out after denying Jesus and hearing the rooster crow, is weeping bitter tears because he knows, I did this to Jesus. John is still obeying the last request of Jesus when Jesus was on the cross and said, John, behold your mother. And he looked at his earthly mother and said, Mother, behold your son. It was a, a reverse adoption in this moment that now John is caring for Mary, the mother of Jesus, as if she was his own mother. He's trying to bring her comfort, but he knows there's nothing he can say. There's nothing he can do to bring about comfort for Mary. Maybe Joseph of Arimathea, after dropping off the body of Jesus on Friday into the tomb, maybe he's taking the deed to his tomb, what he was giving to Jesus, the tomb that he was going to bury himself in bury him, his family in. He takes that deed to Mary and he's not trying to be rude or insensitive, but he wants to make sure that there are no legal problems for Mary putting Jesus in that tomb. And he drops it off at her door. He, he tells her and wishes her his condolences. He says he's so sorry and that he himself, he admits to Mary I was a believer and he apologizes for not being more open about it. Maybe Maybe Simon the Cyrenian is out at the sea there in the salt water trying to wash the blood of Jesus off of his garments because he had to carry that bloody cross up the rest of the hill for Jesus. And he's trying everything he can to try to wash his garments because they didn't have a lot of clothes back in those days. Even they only had a few pairs and he's trying to get it out of his garments but nothing he seems to be doing is working. Maybe Thomas and the other disciples have run away into hiding assuming that they are next and that soon the religious leaders are going to be coming for them because they in fact believed and followed this man called Jesus. Pilate is most likely drinking, trying to go about his daily routines. He's dealing with more political upheaval. He's looking at his next political move where he can try to get himself, uh, amen, postured a little closer to moving up the ranks in the Roman government. But as he is sitting there drinking and just trying to work on his strategy of politics, the priests barge in his door on the Sabbath day, something that would not be lawful for them. And those priests and religious leaders who are no longer upholding the Sabbath, amen, something they would have killed anybody else for 
for. The religious who acted like they had it all together. Amen. They barged in and they, they, they still got the blood of Jesus on their conscience and on their mind. And they begin to ask Pilate to please send a guard to watch over a tomb and a dead body. Because they said this deceiver said that on the third day he'll rise again. Isn't it interesting that those same priests used that same argument to say that he would destroy the temple? And that's what they accused him with. But now they have spun the story. He said that he would raise again. There was something happening in the minds of those priests and those religious leaders who, who they thought Jesus was a blasphemer and Jesus was a deceiver. But yet they heard what Jesus had said. And everything else Jesus had said had come to pass. And they were going to do everything they could to try to guard that tomb. And if need be, they were going to they they kill anybody that came close to that place. And the Bible says soldiers are sent to guard the tomb on Saturday. On Saturday, everybody else is most likely abiding by the Sabbath rules. There's a time of reflection. No work, no servile labor. There's a time where they can just sit back. I think this is a good thing. I think this is something we ought to, we ought to attempt to, to do a little more often. But some are going about their Sabbath traditions as if nothing happened. It was just another Jewish man that died. Just another one of our brothers who just crossed the wrong paths. No big deal but the followers of Jesus are experiencing a completely different Sabbath the followers of Jesus are experiencing a completely different Saturday no doubt they are weeping no doubt they are they are feeling absolutely hopeless there goes their Messiah there goes their healer there goes their teacher there goes their rabbi. There goes their miracle worker. The ones that were just worshiping with palm leaves and declaring Hosanna in the highest are now feeling the weight of hopelessness that maybe we were wrong. They begin to doubt and some fall into unbelief. Maybe we missed it. Maybe the religious leaders were right to crucify him. Maybe we were led astray. Others knowing we were not wrong, but they still killed him. They got rid of our Savior they got rid of our Messiah and now we have no hope of ever getting beyond this and there is this dark cloud that rests on their Saturday but is this all there is to Saturday what was happening while they were crying was God up to something what was God doing when they were scared what was God up to when they felt alone what was God up to when everybody was calling it a quits and everybody was going into hiding was it over was there any hope on this Saturday afternoon to understand what happened on Saturday what was really happening on Saturday we can see from people's perspective by piecing together the scriptures what their Saturday seemed like and what their Saturday felt like. 
but to fully understand what was really going on on Saturday. We must understand what Jesus was declaring with his final breath right way back on Good Friday. The Bible says that Jesus began to cry out, It is finished. That is one Greek word by the name of tetelestai. One writer noted that tetelestai was used in the first and second centuries in the sense of fulfilling or paying a debt, often appearing on receipts. The word tetelestai was written on business documents or receipts to show that a bill had been paid in full. Another writer described tetelestai as a powerful and dynamic Greek word. We don't have any other word in English quite like it. It is the cry of an Olympic athlete crossing the finish line, one step ahead of their competition. It is the cry of the exhausted warrior standing over the body of his enemy. It is the cheer of a farmer at the end of harvest when he has beaten the elements and the seasons to protect his crop. What it means is I win. I have completed the task. I have reached the goal. I have won the prize. Amen. Our, our other text today, amen, it gives us a revelatory clue as to what Jesus was up to on Saturday. I want to preach for just a few moments what Jesus accomplished on Saturday. It was on Saturday. Our Bible would tell us that Jesus went to hell and he began to preach and proclaim to Telestai, it is finished. I have won. I have completed the task. I have reached the goal. I have won the prize. There on Saturday that Jesus went to the lower parts of the earth and began to proclaim his message of victory. Every spirit that was bound up in hell, all those that were dead in graves, Jesus walked down into the belly of hell and he grabbed the keys to death and the grave and told Satan, you don't have any more power. I am victorious. I have won. It is finished. It was on Saturday Jesus was preaching to the spirits in prison. Jesus went to hell and Ephesians 4 says that he led captivity captive. I want that to sink in for a moment. Often we read over those kinds of verses. He led captivity captive. Not only did he lead the captives free, my Bible would say that many that were in graves, many that had died, begin to raise up out of their graves and begin to go home. Can I preach to somebody? He led the captives free, but not only that, the Bible says he led captivity free. My Bible tells me he actually imprisoned the very things that imprison us. He captivated captivity itself. What about Saturday? What about Saturday? Jesus preached. There is victory. Jesus preached. I bound up everything that binds you up. Jesus preached. Amen. I want to help somebody. He led captivity captive. Drug and alcohol addiction was bound up on Saturday. Pornography and promiscuity addictions were bound up on Saturday. Depression, anxiety, trauma, other 
mental illnesses were bound up on Saturday. Fear of death and fear itself was bound up on Saturday. Carnality and the propensity of the flesh and the temptation was bound up on Saturday. God is victorious in Saturday. Why don't you stand right where you are and lift up your hands. Hallelujah. Let's magnify Jesus. Come on, what about Saturday? Yeah, while everybody's crying and weeping, uh, while everybody's wondering if there's hope, uh, I came to help you. Uh, he led captivity captive, uh, and the Bible says he gave gifts uh, unto men, uh, apostles, uh, prophets, uh, evangelists, uh, pastors, and teachers. Uh, can I help somebody? Uh, he sent a preacher uh, into hell uh, so he could raise up more preachers uh, across the world uh, to deliver the captives, uh, to set at liberty them that are bruised. Come on, right where you are. Why don't you begin to dance? Right where you are. Why don't you begin to shout? Come on, whatever you're facing, he defeated on Saturday. Whatever's bound you up, whatever's captivated you, he bound it up on Saturday. Hallelujah. Oh, somebody magnify Jesus. Somebody magnify Jesus. Come on, Saturday was a bad day for the devil. Saturday was a bad day for addiction. Saturday was a bad day for all the things that captivated you and I. Somebody shout. Somebody shout. I believe we can have a shout out on an online service. I believe on Easter Sunday, we can shout about what he did on Friday. We can shout about what he did on Sunday. But I wonder, can anybody shout about the victory Jesus won in that grave and in that tomb when he led captivity on Saturday? I feel him. I feel him. I believe that everybody that's listening right now feels it. Whatever you're facing, whatever you're feeling, honey, Saturday already happened. He led it captive. Let me help somebody. We're going to have an altar call right where you are. We're going to have worship here in a moment. Let me help some people with some theology. It was on Friday that sins were forgiven and the blood was spilled out. On Friday, Jesus died. That's where we see the death. That's what happened on Friday. On Friday, if you were to break that down, break that down on how you're saved, Friday is a day of repentance. Friday is where you take the Passover lamb and you put the blood over your doorpost and you begin to say, Jesus, I'm sorry. And you ask God to forgive you. That's repentance on Friday. That's death to sins and that's death to self. But what about Sunday? Hope was born on Sunday. Jesus resurrected on Sunday. Amen. Can I help somebody? The Holy Ghost is an experience you can have on Sunday. The Bible says that we have, we will be risen to newness of life through the power of the Holy 
Ghost, that Holy Ghost experience. My Bible says for somebody to be saved, they got to repent of their sins, they got to be baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost. Friday, you repent of your sins. On a Sunday, you receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. I'm not just talking about literal days. I'm talking about what Jesus accomplished. But let me help somebody. It was on Saturday that Jesus captivated captivity. On Saturday, he was in a tomb. On Saturday, he was buried. And it was in full effect. Can I help somebody? Colossians 2 and 12. Buried with him in baptism. When you get baptized in Jesus' name, you're aligning yourself to the Saturday Jesus that's leading your captivity captive. It is Jesus that is buried in that tomb, preaching deliverance to the captives, to bind up everything that binds mankind up. When you're baptized in Jesus' name, all your sins are washed away. Everything that bounds you up, it's gone. Every mistake is gone. Every failure is gone on a Saturday. Buried with him through baptism, where you are raised with, risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who had raised him from the dead. And you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all your trespasses, blotting out. I preached about that on Wednesday. He took his pen, dipped in his blood, and he covered up every sin. When you're baptized in Jesus' name, everything is washed away. Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us. He took it out of the way. He led captivity captive. He led everything that held us up and kept us bound. Every sin, every failure, every temptation. He led it away and the Bible says he nailed it to his cross. The Bible says having spoiled principalities and powers he made a show of them openly triumphing over them in it hallelujah in other words when jesus went down into the bottom parts of the earth on saturday and began to preach liberty to the captives and he led away captivity my bible says he looked at every sin that you and i had committed and he looked right in the face of every lying devil and the bible says he triumphed over them in it he said i spoiled principalities i spoiled powers can i preach the devil don't have any power in your life. Jesus won it on Saturday. Sin doesn't have any power in your life. Jesus won it on Saturday. Come on, somebody, right where you are. I'm done preaching. Would you lift up your voice? Lift up your hands and magnify him. Come on, you might feel like it's hopeless. But on Saturday, hope can enter your world. Deliverance can enter your life. In the name of Jesus, let's magnify him as we worship the Lord.